You only have until noon to double your donation to WMNF through the Giving Challenge. WNF is taking part in this special giving day sponsored by the Community Foundation of Sarasota County and the Patterson Foundation. Your donations up to $100 will be doubled. Go to givingchallenge.org and search for WMNF. That's givingchallenge.org. There's also more information at WMNF.org. Thank you. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Washington Post opinion writer Helene Olin, an expert on personal finance and an author whose books include The Index Card, Why Personal Finance Doesn't Have to Be Complicated. Olin wrote a recent Post piece headlined, Stop the Inhumane Practice of Renting Pets. While her columns generally address an array of topics, most tend to be rooted in the financial or economic realm. The pet rental piece, while examining the commerce of folks purchasing animals, including instances where the pets are so pricey the humans enter into a lease-to-buy agreement, seems like a rare foray for her into animal welfare. Perhaps for that very reason, a financial columnist taking a careful look at the enterprise of renting pets, shoring up her observations with hunks of sharp reporting, arriving at the stop the practice practice conclusion, may carry more weight and authority for its calm precision. We'll hear more about pet leasing when I play back the interview I recorded yesterday with Helene Olin in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Now, programming note, you've been hearing all morning and yesterday, too, about the Giving Challenge, to which a donation to WNF can double your money up to $100 donations. This is the final hour of the Giving Challenge, so I ask you to visit givingchallenge.org, search for WMNF, then please donate, which supports Talking Animals and, of course, WMNF. So it's a really great opportunity, and when else can you double your money? Just, just about anywhere. So we hope to hear from you throughout the hour. It's the final hour of the whole giving challenge, so we really like to make a nice, splashy uh, finale here. Later in today's program, I'll talk with Dr. Chris Learning, a veterinarian who will be hosting an All About Animals workshop this Saturday, April 30th, at Great Explorations Children's Museum in St. Petersburg. More on this workshop and possible future workshops later in today's show. Right now, though... Let's uh, hear all about pet leasing in a conversation recorded yesterday. This is Washington Post columnist Helene Olin on Talking Animals on WMNF. Thanks for joining us today on the show, Helene. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So before we delve into the column that brought us here, let's get to know a bit more about you first. While your column does widen out to explore other topics, I think it's safe to say your bailiwick is personal finance. I always say it's kind of the area where life meets money, whether that's politics, economics, um, living with a dog, for that matter. Um, 
fill in feminism, fill in the blank, basically. Okay, so it's pretty wide latitude, even though maybe the the core base is is finance and economic. That's a fair way to put it, I would say. And what set of circumstances drew you to your interest in personal finance at the get go? Um, you have you have an hour? Um, no. Well, um, the, the, the elevator pitch version, maybe then, I guess. Okay. Is, uh, so a longer time ago than I like to admit, I was living in Los Angeles, where I actually am now as well. Hmm. And um, someone called me up from the local paper and asked if I knew anything about personal finance and I could sub in for a regular feature on the topic they ran and made the fatal error of um, telling me how much it paid before they uh, got my answer on the topic. Um, And the only thing I knew about personal finance at that time was that if somebody offered you double your normal rate, you should immediately say yes. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, So in any case, um, one thing led to another, and uh, 20 plus years later, here we are. So the call where they said, hey, could you do this column on personal finance? It pays this. Suddenly, the personal finance part of what they were offering said, this is the gig for me. Yes, yes. I thought it would be a one-off. Um, it turned out I, I was actually quite good at it. Go figure. Um, my other interest in it comes from the fact I was a little girl growing up in New York City, where you learn very early that if you want to get a seat on the subway, you need to figure out out what stop people are getting off at. And the way you do that is by studying what people wear and what they are carrying and what stop that means they are most likely to get off at. Oh, wow. Um, Which is a really fascinating way to learn economics, by the way. For sure. So what were some basic uh, broad-stroked telltale signs? Oh, age was always a good one. You know, age was really a a very major one. Um, If you were in Manhattan, it was how people were dressed, people heading. There were actually distinctions between people getting off at East 68th Street and East 77th Street which was always hilarious in terms of shoes and pocketbooks and whatnot. Uh, 68th Street also had Hunter College. So if somebody was young and didn't look like an Upper East Side type, it was a good chance they were getting off at Hunter. Wow. As I said, I could talk about this for hours. Yeah, but I mean, this seems uh, almost as much like a sociological study as (laughs) necessarily putting on a path towards personal finance. Well, money is about sociology, right? I always say it's the most, and then we can talk about dogs. Um, It is the most, I always say it and parenting writing are the two least well-known forms of political writing because people express their politics and their values through money all the time in the same way they do everything. But we never really think of those two subjects as political and yet they any or economic and they often are. Interesting. And with that in mind, what, from your perspective, having reported for this column or a variation of it for quite some time, how financially literate are the American people generally, would you say? Ha ha ha. Um, okay. the, uh, the whole concept is a, is a false one, in my opinion. Um, we uh, sort of, of have this being, idea of, of being financially, financially literate. literate. Okay. Yeah. Um, we sort of have this idea. I've actually written about this quite extensively. And we sort of have this idea that in the past, everybody, you know, knew was financially literate and knew how to behave very well when it came to their finances. And this is actually absolutely untrue. What their secret was that they simply didn't have the wealth of temptations that are in our path today. Everything we take for granted didn't exist. Um, there weren't there weren't credit cards. 
you, you know, if you needed money, you went to the local loan shark, which believe me, was really good discipline not to borrow it. Mm. Um, there, you know, home equity lines were called second mortgages and good luck to you explaining to the local bank why you wanted one. Yeah. Uh, for that matter, there were no ATM machines. Yeah. So over the weekend, you had to plot out how much cash you wanted. Mm. So, you know, the explosion in fi- financial technology happens and here we are. Um, and it, the last thing I'll say is we actually know most people's financial behaviors when they are, have adequate money is actually pretty decent. We learned this during the pandemic when the savings rate soared with the with the stimulus checks and the expanded unemployment checks. Yeah. People actually, right? People actually saved the money and the money they spent with the child tax credit, for instance, a huge proportion of it went to food, um, clothing for children, um, diapers, fill in the blank, right? Yeah. Things that people Netflix actually need. Yeah, Netflix subscriptions if they didn't already have them. Yeah. So, and, and notice, by the way, what's the first thing people are canceling when it comes to inflation, right? Yeah. It's, it's all those unnecessary streaming services. Um, and bad news for Netflix or worse news for CNN Plus, I guess. Yeah. Right. So basically, we have a massive problem with inequality in our country. We don't have a massive problem with financial literacy, in my view. But okay. Well, let me, let me, one more, <laughs> yeah, one more thing on that. So is there any sort of like universal measure that most of us could undertake relatively easily to improve our, if not our personal finance picture, at least our literacy, which sounds like you don't think most people are all that literate, even at the best of times, but. uh, Oh, absolutely. Um, And I should say there is nothing more empowering than knowing how to control your money because that's that's what will give you freedom in life. Um, Well, I mean, this is where my publisher says I need to pitch my book. I wrote a, co-wrote a book several years ago with Harold Pollack at the University of Chicago called The Index Card, Why Personal Finance Doesn't Have to Be Complicated. And it's 10 very simple rules for getting your financial life in order. And it's written at a very basic level so that people can really both comprehend it, feel they can live up to what we're asking them to do and not feel talked down to. Great. Okay. Well, plug, cross off the to-do list and we'll come back to that at least one or two more times. So uh, let me let folks know that might just be tuning in. This is Talking Animals. If you did just tune in, my guest is Washington Post opinion writer, Helene Olin whose recent column was headlined, Stop the Inhumane Practice of Renting Pets. This conversation was recorded yesterday. Also through Talking Animals uh, today ending at noon, when the show does, a donation to WMNF can double your money via the Giving Challenge. So please go to givingchallenge.org, search for WMNF, and indicate your donation supports Talking Animals. So speaking of animals, Helene, how do you feel just generally about animals? You already cited them as kind of a key thing at the early part of our conversation, but just generally, how do you feel about animals? I love animals. I, I was an only child raised with a sibling schnauzer, okay. and I currently am the mother to not only two boys in college, but a 15-year-old poodle who I keep looking at and saying, Katie, we were supposed to be middle-aged women together. What happened? <laughs> and it's, Kate, it's Katie, the so-called poodle daughter that I uh, read about? Yes. Yes, she is. And I actually once wrote a piece for Slate years ago, making fun of myself for referring to her as my daughter. 
Well, that's, uh, I think a lot of people listening to this show can understand directly that kind of strong connection. So Katie uh, is a poodle. Are you strictly a poodle person or that's just the kind of dog that happens to have lived with you for the last several years? Uh, I am not strictly a poodle person. She is, um, we were accidental poodle owners when we fell in love with the breed when we got asked to watch somebody's toy poodle over a winter break years ago. And this little dog turns up at my house and he's about five, six pounds and he's black and white. He literally looks like a circus dog. Mm. And, you know, my kids are like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And my husband and I are sort of looking at each other like, okay. Anyway, he turned out, little Paca was his name. And he turned out to be the funnest, most tough, friendly, exciting, challenging dog we'd ever had. So we just, we ended up saying we need our own Paco. And uh, about a year later, Katie kind of fell into our laps. She was a retired breeding dog. So we uh, got her at the end of her breeding career at the age of four and a half. Wow. Well, good for Katie. Good for uh, good for you guys. It sounds like everybody had a pretty happy turn of events there. Well, she certainly thinks so. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess thanks go to Paco for the introduction to uh, the joys of poodledom. Exactly. Yeah. So when did you first become aware of this topic of leasing pets? Um, I first became aware of it several years ago uh, when it got a bit of attention in the business press. It was one of these, oh my God stories. So just to backtrack for a bit, when you go into a pet store and we, well, you are often offered options to finance the dog or a cat or the gerbil, whatever you get, right? But usually it's a dog because those are the most expensive. And the it's often high interest debt. But what one practice that seems to have developed in the past several years is this is a spin on high lease, high, I mean on high interest credit card debt called a leasing. And leasing is exactly what it sounds like like a car lease, except for a pet. And the reason it most likely came about was because it seems like leasing is a loophole that gets you around state restrictions on interest rates. Some states still are not, you know, still um, have laws on how high interest rates you can charge. So this seems to have kind of flown under the radar a bit. Wow. So when you first came aware of reading about it in the business press some some years ago, were you reacting kind of as a longtime animal slash dog person or reacting as a journalist or sort of both at the same time? Oh, both at the same time. I mean, it's kind of a fascinating story. I mean, I write about finance, obviously. So it's like, wow, that's that's creative. Um, You know, there's, um, you know. It's really taking advantage of people because the amounts people pay, like with another comparison would be rent to own furniture, where you end up, if you do this and you want to keep the furniture, you often pay several times the price of the actual furniture. The same thing is true in the case of the dog. So there were cases of people being reported who purchased, say, a $1,500, you know, pooch who ended up paying, you know, six, seven thousand dollars for it over time. 
But the second part that was just intrinsically fascinating was sociological, because it's kind of like, what does it mean to own a dog? There has been, as I'm sure people listening to the show are aware, a huge amount of conversation in the pet pet, I'm about to tip my hand here, the pet community um, over how you should express your relationship with the pets in your life, the animals in your life. I mean, I usually, you know, because I am middle-aged and I, you know, will speak quickly, but in fact, there's been a push to do away with that terminology because the fact is, is should you really be able to own, own another living being? And there's been pushed to use words like, you know, companion animals, we're guardians to our pets and so on that has never fully caught on in part because of the reality of stuff like pet leasing. And in fact, the law defines an animal as property and that has not changed. So this, the thing about pet leasing that was so fascinating is that it truly exploits this sort of relationship and legal terminology so that you're technically kind of borrowing your dog. And the result was, is that People were reporting that if they were having trouble making payments on the animal or if the animal died, say, which happens with pet store dogs, as we know, um, and they didn't want to make payments any longer, um, they would get threatened. And one thing they would get threatened with if the dog was still alive was in at least a handful of cases that have been reported, you know, eager bill collectors threatened to seize the animal, which was like aside from the common sense thing of who on earth, you know, wants to seize a, you know, two-year-old Maltese poodle mix, you know, was also, though, just sort of heinous and was really kind of exploiting, you know, the love that we have for the animals in our lives to make a buck. So anyway, this totally fascinated me. And when the subject came back up again in the past couple of weeks, um, and I decided to look at it. And the reason the subject came up in the past couple of weeks is is that a states have banned the practice. Um, One of them is Massachusetts. Um, and another is California, where I am right now. Yeah. And Massachusetts has actually been quite aggressive in going after people violating companies that are violating law that are and are still leasing pets in the state. And they busted a company based here in California, actually, um, that was still in the business of doing this. Though I have to say, for the record, the company denies ever actually threatening to repossess a pet. Yeah, well, there's so many things. Uh, so I'd be curious to know what element. Uh, as you did decide to write about it and started your reporting and researching, what element of this story uh, did you find most surprising? I think I found surprising that it was still going on, actually. Yeah. I, I mean, that was because it's just such an awful thing to do. And when the first round of publicity hit in 2017, 2018, it was withering. Um, and in fact, it was so withering. Um, this One of the main companies involved in this ended up in bankruptcy court. Um, it really knocked you know, out a huge chunk of their business model. So I think I had just kind of lazily assumed it was still not, it, it had stopped, which, you know, shame on me. Well, it's interesting you would say that because similarly, when I saw your piece, I thought, and some of the things that you report and, and have uncovered in the course of writing it, I thought, wow, there's a lot of things that are surprising, but I thought periodically pet leasing should be discussed on this show. And then I, I kind of placed it back burner thinking it was sort of a 
marginal phenomenon and kind of likely to just sort of die out. And uh, so I hadn't been, I guess I hadn't been minding the store um, because of that sort of attitude and sort of the inherent bias, not surprising on a show like this, where people obviously favor adoption, rescue, not really buying animals, even under better circumstances than exist in the pet leasing world. So I was just, I found it jarring to read that only eight states at this point have banned pet leasing, meaning that obviously more than 40 plus states, the, the enterprise is perfectly legal, which I find disturbing. I do too. And I should say, and I don't know the name of the legislator offhand, so forgive me. My understanding is, since this is a Florida show, that there is legislation pending in Florida over this. Um, but I don't know the fate of it or much more about it than that. But for yeah. your listeners, I want to tell you that. And the other reason it's sort of surprising that it hasn't been adopted in more states, a ban on this, is it's actually pretty popular legislation. And I mean that that holds true in our extremely partisan time. When you look at who votes for it in various states, like Indiana is one of the states. That's a Republican state. Yeah. It was sponsored by Republicans and a Republican governor signed it. In New Jersey, when the legislation passed, um, it passed all but unanimously with only one or two votes against it, um, who I believe it was a Republican who voted against. But nonetheless, that tells you a large majority of both Democrats and Republicans said pet leasing is horrifying and we want it stopped. So it's also something that could very easily be enacted. Yeah. So I guess if I'm following you properly here, then I guess it's even all the more surprising that, that it is only the eight states so far. You'd think if it's kind of a popular thing as you described it in sort of a legislative slam dunk, it sounds like, at least in many cases. Why aren't more people trying this in other states and saying, hey, let me get in on something that seems to be a, a, a pretty smooth victory? I think it's partly because after that first rush of attention, it, the practice hasn't gotten much attention. And I think a lot of people, and as I said, I was as guilty of it as anyone else, sort of assumed it had gone away. Yeah. So there was not a huge amount of attention paid to it. Yeah. And I will say another thing is that at least some of the animal organization, animal welfare organizations are equally as concerned about the issue of people borrowing huge, you know, high interest debt when they make that impulse purchase in a pet store. So leasing just competing on that agenda with that a little bit, right? right? You know, they also don't want you to, you know, agree to, you know, a 40% credit, you know, APR credit card to purchase Slassy at the pet store. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, just because again, I mean, you said you kind of like lost track of it. I lost track of it, but obviously your piece I think is full of really important information. And I just think a lot of people listening to the show and just generally would be surprised that such a thing does go on and does go on right now pretty much in a broad number of states. So walk me through how it works. So let's say for the purpose of discussion that I want a pure breed or so-called designer mutt, I just I just have to have it. So what that, if I go into, I guess, a pet store or wherever this would take place, that's going to maybe set me back a few thousand bucks and then- Potent, Right, potentially. 
Yeah. Right. So, then, so the way, right. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, no. So I'm just saying, so I, I got to have this pet, this dog. It's going to send me back a few thousand bucks. I don't have that kind of dough on me. So then I finance this canine purchase in the form of a lease. Is that how it all begins? Kind of? That That's basically it. And one of the issues here, and you just flagged one of the issues and you used the right term, which is financing. What has happened in a number of cases is people, you know, look to come up with the money to purchase, you know, Rover, and they are offered by the pet store, quote, financing, and they assume it is credit. And so they sign on the dotted line because how often do you actually read, you know, all those credit card, you know, legalese paperwork, right? Whether it's virtual or actual paperwork and only figure out after the fact, whether it's reading it at home or there's a problem crops up, they actually agreed to a lease. In some cases, it appears that they're off, they're, they're signing on a tablet and they're not even seeing the terms. You know, it's just signed here. Oh, wow. I see. So it's in the haste to get the dog out, out the door. People don't even know the kind of onerous uh, terms that they've agreed to. Correct. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, in some cases, people don't even watch people they threaten to repo the dog. And one of the things that I think you indicate, but I just want to clarify again for people listening that maybe uh, sort of hearing this for the first time and maybe have their hair standing on end at some point, is the objective in the agreements to end up with the dog at the end of the term? Like, in other words, is the objective always some kind of lease to buy arrangement, even though we are talking about a dog here? Um, As far as I know, I mean, I don't think we're talking about services where people like, you know, you know how they have those rent to pet services where like you get to walk some random dog for a half hour. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we're talking about that here. Okay, let's distinguish this out. The the um, these are very much people who want to buy the dog. It's not clear to me that, you know, as I said, the financing company often the Massachusetts settlement claims that they, you know, that they've never threatened to repossess the dog. Um, it's never been clear whether this threat is for real or not from other companies um, or what they would do with a repossessed dog, right? Like, yeah. I mean, although, you know, given that, you know, you could, you see, you know, you know, a two-year-old dog is often pretty, you know, hot on the adoption scene, so to speak. You know, they probably could do something, but I don't want to encourage them here. These are very much just agreements that are structured to get around interest rate rules, basically. Yeah, because I did wonder after reading your piece, if there are some people that for whatever their reasons are, because I mean, a lot of this is puzzling to me at, you know, at every level. But I wonder if there were people that, that actually do lease a dog for, say, two or three years and then they're done. If it's always really just I'm, I'm going to have that dog. I just I can't I can't afford it, really. But so I'm going to lease it until I can, you know, take full possession, I guess. But as far as I know, you know, I'm sure some people knew they were leasing a dog. But as far as I know, no one is deliberately leasing a dog. Like if that makes sense. 
Yeah. No, I mean, well, a lot of this, again, just seems so foreign to many of us that I'm not sure much of it makes sense, but it, but it is fascinating. And, and again, the fact that it's uh, potentially still so widespread is notable just by itself, I think. Let me again just say this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Washington Post opinion writer Helene Olin, whose recent column addressed the troubling enterprise of renting pets. This conversation was recorded yesterday. Also through Talking Animals, a donation to WMNF can double your money via the Giving Challenge, which in when this show does at noon. So in the meantime, please go to givingchallenge.org, search for WMNF and indicate your donation supports Talking Animals. So I'm just curious, like where you think this is heading? I mean, it sounded like earlier you were saying the legislators, when they do get onto this, feel like this is something very simple and doesn't have any uh, much downside to pursuing. But there's just other than maybe what will be spurred by your actual recent column, people just aren't aware of it. So there's probably no outrage to fuel legislative efforts. But I just would like to think that at some point, more than eight states would ban this kind of practice. Um, I would too. Another thing I called on, though, I don't see any F, any sign of it occurring is, you know, congressional action would also knock this out and put an end to it. Yeah. Um, and again, as I said, there's no reason not not to go for it. It's pretty popular cause. Like nobody thinks you should be leasing your dog. So yeah, but that's why I guess in ways that are similar, you and I both kind of like figured, hey, this was kind of going away of its own accord, and that was wrong. And, yeah, uh, unfortunately. So yeah. so when uh, just to elaborate a bit more on, so if people are having trouble making their payments, which in all kinds of purchases, at least to buy purchases, that does happen. Now you say the company are saying, hey, we've never repossessed an animal, but really what, what leverage would they have otherwise if people weren't making their payments on their dog? Well, it's the, the usual, right? You know, we'll threaten your credit reports. We can, um, you know, we can, you know, ding your credit score, which is usually a pretty potent threat for people, by the way. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it is a way of getting paid. Um, and it's sort of shocking. This just has continued onward. Yeah. And um, how often did you find in the course of preparing your piece, are cats purchased this way? Um, I heard about a few cats, but it seemed most common with dogs, which yeah. totally makes sense because those are generally the most expensive animals in a pet store. And that's generally the animal, unless you're looking at a very specialized breed of cat, you know, whereas a lot of pet stores, you know, charge ridiculous amounts for um, puppy mill dogs, basically. See, that's the other reason I guess I just didn't think this would still be going on because there's so many local, regional and other kinds of ordinances being passed to rule out puppy mill dogs being sold or almost any animals being sold at pet stores. So the idea that you could get yourself a big pricey dog at a pet store that you would only get by this leasing arrangement, again, just didn't just didn't register with me. I, I think that is true for all of us. It, it, I, I still remember my shock when I first heard about it years ago. It, it was just sort of an unbelievable story. Um, and it, you know, and it came, by the way, from a company that was in the leasing business. It was doing other leasing as well, too. I mean. So they expanded into dogs from whatever else they had been doing. Right. Wow. And is that the company that then folded? I believe so. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So you did mention earlier in the show, which I appreciate that your understanding is that Florida, I think I've seen some reference to that as well, that may be introducing this kind of legislation. Did you get a sense while working on the piece that there are some other states uh, beyond the current eight that do 
uh, have plans to uh, try to enact a ban? On there was another state besides Florida that had had legislation, but I, I'm embarrassed to say I'm blanking on who it what what state it was. I got. Um, I mean. It just seems to be an under the radar issue, um, which makes sense because it's so odd in a certain way. I mean, who thinks about this, right? And it's, um, you know, when I reached out, the, the Federal Trade Commission has, you know, issued warnings saying if you if you're doing this, you know, you do have to, if you're the pet store, right? You do have to tell people they're actually leasing an app, right? Because it's not actually illegal to do it. I actually reached out to the CFPB as well, and they were, they never got back to the comment, though they were stunned to hear about it. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I I just think that almost no matter who you are and what your point of view on animals and dogs and living with them and any kind of thing, I, I almost think you, regardless across the board, you'd have to be stunned by this, even though now it's as you say it's been going on for a few years but but it just seems like so seems incredible that it exists right i mean it, it, so it goes into this as i said at the beginning it kind of goes into this whole you know or a gap in the dog human relationship right it's literally what does it mean to own a dog and if it's property, can it be taken away from you? And uh, for what reason? And what responsibility do we have to living creatures that are not humans? Is it humane to lease an animal that is a companion app, right? I mean, and these are real interesting questions that like, this sort of awful thing kind of bring, forces you to confront. Yeah. No, well, and again, I think if you're biased, which I think would probably be true of most people listening to this show, certainly people hosting this show, is that the only real way to go is adopt, uh, adopting an animal, adopt, don't shop, the, the phrase goes. So this takes even just the idea of buying it from a breeder, from a more conventional pet store transaction, if there is such a thing still of this or whatever, to such a new, crazy seeming height that that again it's just hard to wrap your noggin around it 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 really really was it was it was really something else and so along the way as you were working on the piece where you think well i thought i was surprised by the last thing i just found in my reporting but this thing trumps that um you know, I, I'm surprised by so much. I always say I'm cynical and not cynical enough. Um, and I think this story kind of fell into that one where yeah. it's like, wow. Yeah. And what kind of, I mean, I saw obviously some of the comments uh, online, but what, how would you characterize the re- reaction that the pieces uh, generated? Oh, tell me about the comments. I didn't look at them. Well, just I think some were along the lines of what we're talking about, which is like, how does this exist? How is this possible? What's going through the people of mind who are paying that kind of money for a dog when so many dogs you know, just at the local shelter or whatever need a home? I mean, things like that. And I think how many there, was, there seemed like there was a good number. So uh, I'm sure there was quite a, an array of responses. But um, I just was curious if you had heard from people uh, more directly in, re- in response to the piece. I think I got a couple of emails, but nothing very dramatic. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I will say, I mean, and I do believe this, you know, I think it's good to adopt animals from the shelter. Yeah. You know, I think it's also fine if people want to, you know, get dogs other ways. I, I should say that I'm not, I'm not a purist this way. And, but what I would say is that 
you need to be, you know, open about how much it's going to cost, whether it's worth it, and, you know, acknowledge the fact that there are other ways to get animals, but also just be upfront with people about their actual terms if they're borrowing money. And that's, you know, whether they're borrowing money, you know, at the vet, you know, or at the, you know, or at a pet store, um, you know, because animals do cost money even after you have, right? Right. And I and I think so. I think that's very important. Yeah, and I think I, I totally understand what you're saying, and and I think for a lot of people there over the years who let's say want or feel like they need a certain breed, you know, through pet finder and other ways, there there are ways to still get a specific breed that you want for your family or you need for your family in whatever way that that is defined. That still enables those animals to be adopted. But uh, yeah, I mean there's there's always gonna be people who are gonna be buying animals from a breeder, from a store, from other means. And um but I think even many of those people would be uh, a little a little taken aback to <laughs> hear about this side of how to purchasing a dog can go. Uh, right. I, what I would say is, you know, however you get your your dog, you should know the terms under which you are getting it. And you shouldn't be, you know, you know, bamboozled into leasing an animal. Yeah. Well, that's the fact that, I mean, you've made the point a couple of times, which is important and often works against all kinds of other animals, that they are considered property. But this kind of, in this equation, it really seems, you know, even more unfortunate that that's, that's the definition. Because, yeah, you, it is just like, as you, I think you noted it's like renting a car or, or something where it really is so far from an animal that you think, how can this be the same set of terms be applied here? And uh, and and the reaction, I think, ultimately is that for most of us, that really couldn't be. But I guess people are so intent on that particular um, designer breed or whatever it might be that they just say, well, uh, if that's what it takes for me to take this dog home, that, where do I sign? I actually think it goes a bit more than that. I mean, the way pet stores prosper is people fall in love with the animal itself at the store. Um, You know, puppies are adorable. We all know that. Um, You know, in some cases, I've known people actually to get the dog out of there. Uh, And and I think that that's an important factor here, too. But the fact is, is that they're playing off the love people have for their dogs. And people don't often realize the vast industry that is behind pets in the pet store. Um, I, I mean, I just don't think most people really engage on that sort of level with it. Yeah. And so they don't realize this very cute little dog in you know the Florida window is might have come from some heinous place in the Midwest where you know the animals are just being kept in terrible, terrible conditions and was taken away from its mother way too soon and is less than healthy, right? People just don't really engage on that level with it. They just, you know, sometimes their kids walk by and they fall in love with the animal. And it's, you know, and this and the leasing really developed as yet another way to take advantage of people in that situation. Yeah. Um, I've written in the past about it, about the move to, you know, ban pet stores from offering dogs from puppy mills, which I actually think is a very good thing and should be expanded upon. For sure. I I totally agree. Well, Helene, we've just about reached the end of our time together. This is uh, Talking Animals. I am Duncan Strauss. My guest has been Washington Post opinion writer Helene Olin. And again, we're talking chiefly about the column she wrote most recently about the weird, to me at least, and others' world of renting pets, leasing pets. Uh, This conversation was recorded yesterday. Again, Helene's uh, books include The Index Card and her... uh, 
website is Helene. It's H-E-L-A-I-N-E, Olen, O-L-E-N.com. And, of course, you can find all her columns, including the one we're discussing on the Washington Post uh, website. So, Helene, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. My thanks again to Helene Olin, both for writing the piece and for joining us on Talking Animals. Hey, you know, you only have until noon, that's 15 minutes or thereabouts, to double your donation to WMNF through the Giving Challenge. WMNF is taking part in the special Giving Day sponsored by the Community Foundation of Sarasota County and the Patterson Foundation. Your donations up to $100 will be doubled. Go to Giving Challenge. .org and search for WMF. That's givingchallenge.org. There's also more information or I think another way to get there as well through our own website, WMNF.org. Thank you. And I'd say it's time to hear an animal song. This is the Sun Society with their version of Octopus's Garden here on Talking Animals on WMNF. That was the uh, Sun Society with Octopus's Garden uh, 
from the Talking Animals Festival of uh, 10 years ago or so. So a band that no longer exists but sounding great at the time, performing at an event that no longer exists, which was uh, great at, at its time. So... In a moment, I'm going to speak with the veterinarian, Dr. Chris, Chris Learning, who will fill us in on the All About Animals workshop he's leading this Saturday, April 30th, at Great Explorations Children's Museum in St. Petersburg. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with a piece I took from Inside Amy Schumer, perhaps fitting, given our discussion of pet leasing just a moment ago with Helene Olin. Uh, so it ties in in some ways for sure. So this is Doggy Daycare. From inside Amy Schumer in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Bye, Addison. Have fun. Play nice. Okay, I left grass-fed bison with the woman at the front. That's all she can eat. First day dropping him off at daycare. Yeah. <laughs> I got him when he was 10 minutes old. I'm still breastfeeding him. Oh, I could never adopt a puppy. Absolutely not. Puppies get adopted so quickly. My Duke, he was 14 when I rescued him. His owners had just dropped him off at the shelter to die, and I was like, no, oh, man. You're coming with me. Oh, no. Mrs. Belvedere is a rescue from Hurricane Katrina. She was up on a roof with this little boy his parents had drowned, and I just thought, that little orphan boy can't take care of a dog. So I choppered in and rescued her right off that roof. What happened to the boy? What boy? Duke lost his legs when a cop shot him in St. Louis. Um, yeah. See, my dog has severe body image issues. You should see how she sees herself. Well, Addison has advanced stage FOMO, fear of missing out. I had to completely take him off social media. It's, just, it's too stressful. Hey, we thought about medication, because my rescue is on Prozac for anxiety. Yeah, and Duke is on Xanax for separation issues. Addie's on Beltrex, because we share a prescription. But that is it for medication, because family history of addiction. Well, I didn't get my guy vaccinated, because Jenny McCarthy said it can cause potism. I followed her advice, too. I got my dog a cat, because pets make you live longer. Oh, yeah. She knows it all. There's nothing she doesn't know. Bye, quinoa. Oh, cute purebred. Yeah, what mold do you get a room? Oh. <laughs> the Darfur Galleria. It's in the Sudan. He was a child dog soldier and was abandoned by the Bedouin militia when they found out he was gay. So, mm. I guess I did get him at a mall. Okay, Daisy, back at daycare. Is, oh. is your dog dead? Yeah. They just put her down at the pound about a month ago. And I was like, I'll take her. I was just doing what any hero would do, but she's my hero. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh. He has four legs. <laughs> right. I'm always like, who rescued who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my dog's like a person. That was a piece called Doggy Daycare, taken from the TV show Inside Amy Schumer in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals. Now it's time to speak with Dr. Learning about the All About Animals workshop he's leading this Saturday at Great Explorations Children's Museum in St. Petersburg. Here's Dr. Chris Learning on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Dr. Learning. Good morning. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for joining us on, on Talking Animals. So uh, first, why don't you just tell us briefly about your, your, your day job, if, if we can call it that, as opposed to what you're doing on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, so I am an associate veterinarian over at uh, Bayshore Animal Hospital and Avian Practice in St. Petersburg. 
Um, you know, I mostly see dogs and cats. So that's probably the bread and butter of what we usually see. Um, but we do have, uh, you know, the occasional reptile patient, a lot of avian patients that we see. Um, and that's, you know, kind of my passion moving forward. I, I, I have a real interest in exotic animal medicine and surgery. So that's kind of one of the, my passions in life. That's why I'm hoping to take over to uh, teach the kids over on Saturday at, at Great Explorations Children Museum. Well, that's great. So how, how did the idea for doing the workshop uh, come about initially? Yeah, so I actually had the, the wonderful fortune of meeting uh, their CEO, Miss Angeline Howell. Uh, her daughter actually has a rabbit that she uh, brought over to me for evaluation and just kind of a general checkup. And during talking with her and, and kind of getting to know her, I found out that she was uh, the CEO over at Great Explorations. And I, you know, uh, was looking it up online afterwards, and it seemed like a very interesting, very uh, well-run uh, establishment and, and has a lot of good opportunities for kids to go and learn everything. And I just wanted to see if I can reach out and, and be a part of that situation. So she was gracious enough to give me a full tour of the of the area, and they have some wonderful exhibits, including a full kind of mock veterinary hospital where the kids can take x-rays of stuffed animals and, and kind of learn about um, what it means to be a veterinarian. So I definitely wanted to be involved after at that point. And one of my uh, passions growing up as before I was a veterinarian, I was actually a uh, zookeeper at a local zoo in my hometown of Staten Island, New York. Um, and one of the things that we had to do is, um, uh, sorry, uh, we had to uh, give presentations in front of young kids about uh, different animal facts and how to handle them and how to kind of take care of them at home, which is one something that I want to uh, kind of repeat or keep going now that I'm a, a veterinarian and able to kind of uh, contribute to my new hometown, which is this uh, St. Petersburg. So it sounds like, uh, if I follow you, Dr. Learning, that, that you kind of had this, uh, this urge just from your own history that you were looking for some way, somehow to kind of uh, execute, and then it was just sort of fortuitous, I guess, that you met the CEO and her daughter with the rabbit, and then yeah, kind of yeah. like that opportunities, those, those things kind of came together. Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of always looking for a way to give back to the community, and I was kind of trying to figure out which way to do that. Um, and this kind of opportunity luckily kind of fell in my lap. And, and Miss Angeline Howell is a, a wonderful human being who will let me kind of get participating in, in her wonderful children's museum. So uh, the kind of stars aligned on this, and I'm yeah. very thankful and I'm very excited to, uh, you know, start this workshop, which is going to be uh, the first one is a Saturday from 2 to 3 o'clock, um, and it's going to be teaching kids of all ages and, 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 and their parents about uh, essentially, you know, how to handle these exotic animals. It's going to focus mainly on exotic animal handling and, and learning facts about them and how to keep them as a pet and which uh, and how to mostly be safe about handling these animals and how they can hurt you, how they can, how these kids can hurt them if they're not careful. So yeah. that's kind of my, my goal with this uh, workshop here. It's going to be an hour from on Saturday from 2 to 3 o'clock. Um, thankfully or, or fortunately, it's already kind of filled up with with participants, which is very exciting. Yeah. Uh, what I'm hoping moving forward is is to do this either monthly or bi-monthly based on uh, my schedule and the staff's schedule over at uh, Great Exploration. So it's very exciting, and I'm very excited to kind of get this kind of ball rolling, and I'm hoping to kind of have future workshops open up for the rest of, uh, 
the community as well. Yeah, well, clearly uh, you hit on, uh, I think, a, a course, a very appealing idea because it did it did fill up. Um, but it sounds like one way or another, what's you know, just figuring out the scheduling that you're going to certainly try to offer more on, on a fairly regular uh, basis. Um, and when you say uh, all ages, I mean, is there is there any kind of span that 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 is sort of the target for folks who attend a workshop like this? So I would say uh, younger kids that have a passion about getting uh, new pets or learning about animals in general, yeah. so maybe about uh, ages 5 to 10 years old. Mm-hmm. If you're a little bit younger than that, then I worry that you're not uh, retaining any uh, most of the information that I'm trying to get past because I'm also while I'm teaching about facts and everything, and I have some fun animals that the kids can pet and touch. Um, what I'm really trying to hammer home is, is safety with these animals in terms of you know, handling them safely and, and not getting bit or scratched or poked or whatever these animals can do. Yeah. But also, uh, you know, the kids, showing the kids how to take care of them appropriately and, and making an enclosure and, and what it means to seek veterinary care for these animals. So, um, so ages, you know, the younger ages, I worry that's not, my, the message is not going to Not going to take hold, probably. Older, yeah. Yeah, older children I probably is, is my, my go-to audience, I would say. Sure, and it sounds like you're really, among other things, sort of fostering kind of a respect for, for animals and how they should be treated and uh, um, yeah. just generally kind of... So will there, uh, at the workshop, will there be some exotic animals as well, or is it mostly going to be sort of your dog, cat, rabbit kind of thing? Or So it's actually going to be... Mo- uh, uh, Specifically exotic animals, so there won't be any dogs and cats. Okay. There will be uh, a, a varying uh, amount of reptiles, um, small animals, including guinea pigs and rabbits. Um, and it will probably switch between each each workshop. Yeah. Um, but that is the general idea. It will be mo- it will be strictly exotic animals and okay. learning about those species. So that's have, great. Uh, a, few, a few snakes they'll be bringing. Um, the Great Exploration does have a wonderful collection of their own kind of ambassador animals that. Uh, they are gracious enough to have, have let me borrow a few of them, including uh, some some lizards. That is a very nice, uh, very nice addition to their collection, and um, so it'll be mostly based around those type of animals. And it's, uh, I guess, there's a little bit of risk with the spitting cobra, but otherwise everything's pretty safe, right? Yeah, yeah, that one, that one's gonna have to stay in the cage. I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we we should just urge people to. Um, Keep an eye on the website for Great Explorations in St. Pete, which is simply greatx, greatex.org, to, um, because again, this one's filled this one this time around, but it sounds like there will be plans and announcements on that website for subsequent workshops that people then can sign up for um, and keep an eye out for to not miss that opportunity. Yep, absolutely. So I'll be working with uh, the, the staff over at Great Explorations and uh, after this one is completed on Saturday, I'll be working with them to uh, definitely plan some future ones in the in the uh, next couple of months or so that uh, these listeners can, can sign up as soon as they become available. And one last quick thing before I let you go, Dr. Learning. I have to confess that when I read about this, I thought, well, this would be something cool to kind of highlight on the show, but I thought, I wonder what Dr. Learning's real name is. And I thought, it's just, you know, I just figured it was kind of an, an alias because it's a cool workshop where you're teaching kids. But in fact, your actual name is Doctor Learning. So I now, yeah, that's my uh, my birth name. Yeah, I've heard all the jokes of, of of anything you can imagine. So. No, but that's it's so fitting. I think I think it's perfect. So it's great. So so <laughs> yeah, Doctor Learning, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Animals and taking that time to to um, 
teach the kids this Saturday and the subsequent uh, Saturdays. We'll keep an eye out for the next workshops and maybe try to announce those on the air when we know when those are. No problem. Thank you much for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. All right, coming up on WF The Music kicks back in with Scott Elliott. He's back. Scott Elliott's back. We've been missing him. We've been enjoying Izzy, of course, but we've been really waiting for Scott Elliott's triumphant return, which happens momentarily here on WMNF with a glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with yet another three hours of music, and we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. So we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. I invite you to join me next Wednesday when we'll offer another edition of Course. And uh, I just want to invite you to uh, check out the website, TalkingAnimals.net, for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there, too, as well as other podcast platforms. Also, links to our Facebook page and other social media. And uh, all that's found at TalkingAnimals.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand, etc. It's TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wiki, Watch, and Beyond. Scott Elliott's up momentarily after NPR News Headlines. Thanks.